Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I'm putting together notes as we speak <laughs> to show uh, what what's going on in the world uh, and how it relates to the Kingdom of God, how it relates to prophecy, how it relates to you as an individual. And uh, there is a lot going on in the world today. And, you know, like when we use this word world, when I say the world today, do I mean the planet today? Do I mean the constitutional order or system of government today? Do I mean the inhabited places today? Do When I say the world today, uh, am I talking about an age of time? All these uh, interpretations of the word world are in... The New Testament, but they use that, they, they have four or five different words in the Greek that are translated into the single English word world, and it creates deception because we don't always know what word they're talking about. They're talking about the end of the world. Are they talking about the end of the planet? No. There's no place where they talk about the end of the planet. It talks about a new heaven and a new earth, but there was a new heaven and an earth after the flood. I mean, the earth was different. It was all new. Things were destroyed. And there was a new heaven. The sky was different too. Now you could see a rainbow. Before, evidently, you couldn't see a rainbow. So something drastically changed uh, during whatever this thing that we call the flood was. And a lot of people will say, well, there never was a flood. This is all fiction. But the reality is, is there is a great deal of evidence that there was a flood because they find tens of thousands of animals all killed by a flood <laughs> and their bodies fossilized in mud that covered them up. And so what happened? Well, something happened. And uh, that was in the days of Noah, and it has prophesied that it would be again like the days of Noah. Not another flood, necessarily. Uh, worldwide flood, there'll probably be floods. But uh, what was like in the days of Noah is that the whole world was in deception. And they were going another way that was contrary to the way of God. So, what is that all about? And are we all going contrary to the way of God? And so, anyway, uh, it, it would uh, behoove us to take a look again at Scripture and take a, a look again at what's going on in the world today uh, in relationship to Scripture. And... Um, one of the things that we had been following a great deal when it first came out was this coronavirus and the threats of the coronavirus and what the coronavirus was going to be, uh, you know, were, were we all millions and millions of Americans going to die because of the coronavirus? No, actually it ended up that 
millions and millions of Americans did not die because of the coronavirus. But many Americans are dying and many more will die. And many more people all over the world will die. But it isn't because of the coronavirus. It's because we lack knowledge. Because the coronavirus isn't killing hardly anybody. Oh yeah, people say 300,000 people have died in America because of coronavirus. No, 300,000 people have died in America with coronavirus. They didn't die because of coronavirus. Some of them died of bullet wounds and car accidents and and two or three or four morbidities, uh, you know, 99 years old and uh, bad lungs from years of smoking. I mean, the statistic that 5,000 people and more will die every year in the state of Oregon from smoking. And only a few hundred people have died with COVID or from COVID. Actually, probably less than a hundred have died from COVID, but many people have died with COVID. Many of those people they say are dying with COVID, we know, don't necessarily have COVID. And they say, well, wait a minute, they tested positive. They tested positive for RNA. They did not test positive for COVID. We say they tested positive, but that is irresponsible reporting and irresponsible diagnosis because it is very clear all the other flus have disappeared and only the COVID exists now. That doesn't happen in nature. It doesn't happen in the history of diseases but we are told that that evidently is what's happened now. That all the other flus have bowed out and departed from the face of the earth. And only COVID kills people now. It's it's just, you know, when we were looking at this. And, you know, I went to look at actual epidemiologists, top epidemiologists all over the world. And I was reading what they were saying, and I was hearing what the news was saying, and they did not match up. Something was amiss. And I said it many times. What is going on? Because this doesn't make any sense. Is it just incompetence in the media and politicians? Is it the fact that the media is looking to sensationalize every story they can because they're trying to get, you know, audience share? Uh, what is going on? But now, as more and more pieces of the puzzle, more and more history is put together, it is absolutely op- uh, obvious that something else is going on. And we see a disaster taking place in the world economy, in the health of the people, all because of the coronavirus pandemic panic because of the mass hysteria created by politicians and the media, got everybody wearing masks, which originally were not supposed to do any real good, might delay slightly the movement of the virus. It will not stop it. Everybody knows that. But not everybody knows that. Because everybody cannot hear that. Everybody is 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 caught up. In fear and vanity. And when you present facts that say, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. This is not the way it works. This is not the way it has ever worked. Why are we doing this? It is destroying the world. It is diminishing freedom and liberty. Well, the reality is 
The problem is not what we see taking place, the coronavirus pandemic, panic, uh, hysteria, whatever you want to call it, is a symptom of the problem that already took place. If everybody calmed down and went back to normal, there would probably some people die who were going to die anyway. Probably less, according to the most epidemiologists who don't get in the news, this slowing the curve is actually going to create more deaths because the way you get rid of these flus in society is herd immunity. You do not get herd immunity from vaccinations. Vaccinations that don't have that uh, effectiveness. Many people who get vaccinations will not be immune. And they're telling us that now. For months and months, this is one of the things that is so obvious. They have been telling us that we can't get back to normal until there's a vaccine. Now, in the last few weeks, when people are starting to get the vaccine, they're saying we can't go back to normal just because you got the vaccine. Right away, they're saying this. that No, you're still going to have to wear a mask. Uh, you're still going to have to social distance. Well, wait a minute. We got the vaccine. No, w- until we get everybody vaccinated, you still can't. This is blackmail. They're changing. The, you know, they, their goalpost is on wheels. They're moving it around constantly. And if you have any kind of a memory, you can say, well, wait a minute. We were just going to slow the curve for a few weeks and get through the flu season. And then we were going to go back to normal. No, didn't go back to normal. And so people are getting frustrated, people are getting upset, but people are not, they're not looking at the problem. Well, some people have looked at the problem, we've been looking at it all along, and they're coming up with conclusions about the problem, about what's really going on. What is the end goal, the the agenda behind the the pandemonium and, and the pandemic panic what is really going on? And of course, one of the things that came up was the Great Reset. And so you say, well, what's the Great Reset? And what is, what is that all about? And uh, the reality is, is there is a Great Reset, what they call the Great Reset. It's promoted by the World Economic Forum. We've already done a page on it. We've done some programs on the Great Reset. What what is uh, uh, th- that all about? Of course, now there will be some people who say, "Well, that's not, you know, that's not uh, that's not real. That the Great Reset is not true." But you can go right online to the World Economic Forum, and you can see uh, that they say it is, and they tell you what their plan is. Kind of like Mein Kampf, you know, Hitler wrote Mein Kampf. And uh, published what he intended to do. And everybody could read the book. And then everybody acted surprised when they found out what he was up to doing. Like, we didn't know. Well, he wrote a book about what his plan was. (laughs) And uh, everybody was reading it, but you couldn't see it. Well, Christ wrote a book (laughs) through through his disciples and uh, the apostles. To tell you how to prepare for this 
mystery of iniquity that was going to come upon us when there was going to be a destruction of the world using the word constitutional order and system of government. He told us what to do to prepare for it. And nobody's doing it. I mean, nobody's doing it. I was on a, a forum just the other day which is talking about, you know, the Ecclesia Church and which is kind of saying, you know, the church church because Ecclesia means well, while it's translated into church, it doesn't really mean church. It means called out. And so, therefore, the word church really means the called out. And so, to say the ecclesia church is to say the called out, the called out. <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to go to the called out building, uh, the church building. Well, no, I mean, people don't get... And what in the forum, they were talking about elders, that they appointed elders and that the question was, should elders be paid for being elders? Well, there is no place in the Bible where the term elder is used as if it was an office of the church. That you were uh, appointed an elder. and But a, a guy wrote a whole book about it and he is explaining his book and he says, it's very clear that... Uh, Men were appointed as elders. The phrase as elders doesn't appear in the Bible. It doesn't say as elders anywhere. It says he appointed elders. Which would be like saying he appointed old men. (laughs) They're not old men because they were appointed old men. They were old men and the old men were appointed that's what it's saying. But because people have a preconceived notion that the term elder is an office of the church, they got that from their church, who got it from the Roman Catholic Church, who did not want you to understand what an elder really was. An elder was a head of a family. This is why Christ, when he had the people, you know, when they, they were, they ate loaves and fishes, it said 5,000 men and their families. Those men were 5,000 elders and their families. They were the elders of families, the head of families, the oldest father of families in a patriarchal system. Patriarchal system of liberty, though, where each family belonged to itself. And the purpose of the coming of the Messiah was to return every man to his family and to his possessions. What is about to take place is taking place, has already begun to take place many, many, many years ago, is to remove every man from his family and every child from his family and the possessions of every family from the family. And almost everybody has been a part of the conspiracy to do that. It's just now that they're saying out loud that that is what their intention is to do. And people don't want to hear it. The same as those people on that forum did not want to hear that elder is not an office of the church. Elder is an office of the family. 
and it is held by the head of the family, the oldest father of the family. That is his office in the family, which is the institution of God. Nobody appointed men as elders. They appointed men who were elders to do certain jobs, as we see with the, uh, Peter, when he, he was told that the daily ministration was being neglected to the Greeks. They were not getting the aid that they needed. They were having difficulties and they needed aid. Why weren't they getting that aid? Well, they needed seven men appointed over this business because it wasn't right that the apostles stop what they were doing to wait on tables. And the word tables there is the same Greek word found in the same Bible that is translated bank. They needed somebody to handle the finances because they were having difficulty getting financial aid to the Greeks because they were way over there in Greece. (laughs) And they needed assistance. How do we get them help? Because now that if you understand that the church took care of all social welfare of the people who followed the way of Christ and they provided for that social welfare through faith, hope, and charity. Of course, sons and daughters took care of their parents, but occasionally families break down and they needed assistance beyond the family because the family, you know, maybe the sons died off or what have you. And so they needed to take the society. Now it falls upon the burden of society to care for the needy of society because they are unable to care for themselves. Now they're not too lazy. They just circumstances. They needed help. And the church took over that responsibility to love their neighbor as themselves to take care through charity of their neighbor. Like John the Baptist was saying, that voice in the wilderness, and we're going to get back to that, who's who's the voice in the wilderness today? Well, there's people claiming to be the voice in the wilderness today, and they're supposed to, and they're seeing the problem, and they're seeing what we lack because of the problem, but they're still not telling you what Christ commanded you to do to take care of the problem. Because the same problem was going on back then. And it's right in the text. But because you have preconceived notions of what elders are, what the church is, what righteousness is, you miss it. It's The instructions are clear. But you cannot see because God has not given you eyes to see, and God has not given you eyes to see, because you have not been willing to repent, to think differently. You still think you can go the way of the Pharisees, go the way of the Corban of the Pharisees, go the way of the Sadducees, and go the way of the Zealots, and not go the way of Christ. You want to go the way of the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Seventh-day Adventists, and and the Catholics, and I, whoever else I missed. 
But you don't want to go the way of the Christ because the way of Christ is different than what most of those people are doing. The, on the same group, somebody said that we're all priests and kings. Well, no, you're all subjects and slaves entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And you're entangled again in the yoke of bondage because of your covetous practices. And your covetous practices is how you take care of one another through men who exercise authority one over the other, even though Jesus said it was not to be that way with you. And it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not to be that way with you. But it is that way with you. That's how you take care of the need. You don't do it through church. You do it through the temples of the world. The buildings of the world. The institutions of the world. That exercise authority one over the other. And force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You send your kids to public school. You depend upon social security to take care of your parents. All these things are contrary to the teachings of Christ. But nobody's speaking out about it until COVID. And they're not even speaking out about the real problem. They're speaking out upon the pain and discomfort and inconvenience of lockdowns and mask wearing and destruction of businesses and destruction of the family and and the uh, strangling. Why weren't you awake when they were taking history out of the public schools and not teaching your children history anymore? And why did some of the people, when they saw this, they said that was good because who cares about what the Romans did? They thought they were Christians. But they did not care that the schools were not going to teach their children history anymore. Of course, by that time, by the time they took the history out of the school, they had to take it out for a little while. It's coming back in, but it's coming back in as the 1619 Project and... And uh, and uh, these other guys who are coming in, Howard Zinn, who are making up a false history and teaching it. And so it's coming back in, but they're able to do that because you haven't learned history to notice the difference. And we, we go in our pages on Schools as Tools and show you how they intentionally went in and altered school books. They were caught doing this by the government itself. Other people were recognizing it and seeing it. But the government actually caught them in the Reese Commission and showed that they used their philanthropic tax-exempt powers to alter the way in which Americans viewed history. And this started back at least in 1908. Of course... By the time you got to 1908, we were already extremely confused about the history of the church. This is, this deception has been creeping in for thousands of years. And has left you with preconceived notions so that you cannot see or recognize the truth when it is spoken to you. Because of these preconceived notions. And so we're going to look at a lot of those. But we're also going to look at some of the plans that they have for you. But really the most important thing is the plan Christ has for you. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. 
I mentioned the Great Reset in the first part of the show. But there's also the Greatest Reset, and we have a page up. I didn't even want to give the Great Reset the time of day, but the Greatest Reset was the reset that Christ did when he came into Judea and was hailed as the highest son of David, therefore the king of Judea, and went into the temple of Judea and cast out the money changers who were the porters of the temple, something only the king could do. He went into the treasury, the royal treasury, the gastaphone. That's what it says in the Bible. He went into the royal treasury and instructed the ministers. He went into the temple, which was a government building, and ordered that vessels not be carried in the temple anymore, roundabout, moved about. And so this was the job of the king, and there was Christ being that king, because the word Christ means anointed, and it means Messiah, which is Messiah, and that's what the Christ was. But he was not setting up a new world order that would be imposed upon the people. He was setting up a government that he appointed. He says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from these guys, the Pharisees, who set up a system of Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect, along with a lot of other things that they set up. And he was going to teach the people the Corbin that made the word of God to effect. And that was called Corbanos in the early church. And it was a system like John the Baptist describing where you took care of one another through faith, hope, and charity rather than the way of the world, the constitutional orders and government that took care of the needy of society through force, fear, and fealty. So it was the church was a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. It was not top-down. It was bottom-up. And hopefully those people who gathered in free assemblies would be filled with the Holy Spirit and know what to do and how to do it. You don't know what to do and how to do it when facing the Great Reset because you don't understand the Greatest Reset, which was the way of Christ. So anyway, if you go to preparingyou.com and you look up the Greatest Reset, you will find, you know, there's a search engine right up in the right-hand corner on the pages. You'll find an article already there, The Greatest Reset. And it has audios in it that explains what that is and how the how they were going to promise you liberty but deliver you into bondage. And they're using COVID-19 to do this, but they, they've used a lot of things to do it. And on that page, I actually have a uh, a video that hasn't been censored yet by Michael Matt, who is a Catholic and who is a part of the Remnant News and Remnant TV. And he did a, you know, I don't know what how many minutes it was. Let's see, about 43 minutes and talked about Trump, Soros, Bill Gates, and the Great Reset. Uh, this COVID-19 globalism. Uh, and the gates of hell, he says. So, 
But we did that program a while ago, and we've explained that. You can go and study that and examine what that's all about. And I used Michael Matt because uh, he's beginning to see certain things. Actually, I think there's two videos on that page. There's another one that is also covering Bill Gates and Trump and uh, Soros, and uh, but uh, the and, and it talks specifically about the Great Reset. And uh, and he explains a lot of that. And I, I put up some of his show notes as well. But there's something Michael Matt's missing. And I sent it to him. I sent him, I believe I sent him the page that we talk about this. I don't know if he had a chance to look at it. But we explain the difference between public religion and pure religion. And the Roman Catholic Church has not been engaged in pure religion for a thousand years. And uh, actually, you can go all the way back to Constantine. Constantine surely did not believe in pure religion. And you go read our article on Constantine in the same website. You just look up Constantine or Ambrose at the same website. You will understand why I say that that, you know, when we say the word Catholic Church, it actually is, it, they, they're taking the word Catholic from a Greek word. And it's kind of a combination of Greek and Latin. And, uh, it it means kind of the the whole church. Uh the universal church is one way they translate it. Like I say, it's from a Greek word that is actually composed of two different Greek words and uh which means about wholeness. Wholeness of the church. Well the church has been divided for a long time and of course if you divide yourself from Christ you des- you're not really his church anymore, which is why we use the phrase to describe what we're trying to get people to understand and seek, which was the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that you need to understand that this, his church, his holy church, is a descriptive phrase referring to what Christ really intended the church to do. Then you have to understand what the church is. A lot of people don't do, do that. They don't understand. They think they are the church because they go to this building down there on the street corner and they sing songs and, and read the Bible and, and say all kinds of things that, you know, they quote from the Bible. But do they understand it? Because Christ warned in the Bible that many would come saying they're coming in his name but they don't even know him and they're actually workers of iniquity. And he warns us and the apostles warn us not to be deceived. That people would creep in and change the way we think. and Which is why we are in need of repentance. To change the way we think back to the way that Christ was telling us to think. And do what Christ was saying to do. So anyway, you can do that in your spare time. We're actually going to be on another page that I've been putting together called Building Back. Because this seems to be a theme. It was a theme of uh, the Biden campaign. Build it better. Build it back better. And uh, it's definitely a theme that you see referred to constantly in World Economic Forum and their Great Reset. Is that they are going to be building it back better. And people keep using that word better 
And I do not think it means what they think it means. Because what they're going to build back that they call as better is not going to be better. It's actually full-blown communism. And uh, communism wants to do away with the family. They want to do away with the family. Communism ended up wanting to do away with private property. They want to do away with private property. Uh, they don't want a bottom-up uh, government based upon liberty. They want a top-down government based on control. And people are rushing to it. And uh, in in Michael Matt and uh, some other people that we're going to eventually look at, uh, Carlo Maria Vegano, uh, they all have a clear examination of the obvious problem that is becoming more and more uh, factual in our day-to-day life. We're actually seeing it taking place in our day-to-day life. But they're missing. The, well, actually, they stumble over it, then they dust themselves off and keep going. They're missing some cri- critical and and essential understanding of what the problem is. And without that essential understanding, they're not going to find a solution. They're going to be battling at windmills and not going to be really solving the problem. So I put together, you know, I put another Michael Matt video up there. It's 2021 God Save America video. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to release it to the network. And, of course, uh, I probably should have released it this morning so they had a chance to listen to it because it's, it's a few minutes long as well. But uh, I think it's 27 minutes long. But he puts together a lot of information about what's happening behind the scenes and a lot of stuff that you're not going to be told in the mainstream media. So I use them again to express some of these things so you can see what they actually are physically doing at this time. What they say they're going to do for the next year, next four years. They're not, they're, you know, the, there's other people who say it as well. I mean, Kamala says, that, yeah, we're going to have absolute mask wearing. Just to give you an example, some of you will begin to understand how crazy this is. There were six guys who got in a car and drove to the coast in Oregon the other day. And they got to the coast, and evidently one of them owned a boat, and they were going to go out on the pier and get the boat and go out fishing. It was evidently a pretty good-sized boat. And they were going to go out fishing. A cop on the, you know, by the da- by the pier there said that they could not all go out in the boat because of the COVID restrictions. And I said, well, we just drove here in a car, all together in a car. And now we want to go out on the ocean in an open boat. You know, I mean, there's a cabin on the boat, but it's basically, you know, a lot of fresh air and salt water and social distancing from everybody else. And um, go fishing for the day. The cop would not let them do that. You can only go out two at a time. 
which is crazy because they're all going to drive back in the same car. And, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this story and I'm thinking, this is insane. That cop is a boxcar loader. He's the kind of guy that, well, the rules say, you know, so you have to get onto this boxcar and go to Treblinka or wherever. And because you're supposed to be on this car and that's what the, that's the rule, so we're going to enforce that. Because there's absolutely no sense to it whatsoever. And again, we're talking about a flu that has a 99% survival rate. And only the sickest and oldest and uh, most most immune compromised people who or, or the people who get terrible medical treatment die from it. It's rare, really rare to have anybody die from from COVID. There, there are people who die with the flu. Obviously, when you're already sick or you're run down, you're more susceptible to any type of virus or bacterial infection. And that's what happens: is that you get one thing wrong, and then another thing goes wrong, and then you die. And uh, it's been going on for thousands of years. But society gets healthier and stronger when you work together, not when you social distance. But anyway, so I put his video up because he goes through and he explains it pretty well and he has extra clips and they've done a lot of work on it. But I also put his video up because uh, because he's a Catholic and because he thinks that we have to get back to what the Catholic Church was a hundred years ago, in order to get through this, and I, I sympathize with his thought that this is the case, but the reality is that's not where we have to get back to. We have to get back to Christ, what Christ actually started, not what the Catholic Church came. Now, I was raised in the Catholic Church. Uh, Carmelite rite, not the Roman rite. That's where I was originally raised. But then I went to the seminary and went to St. Joseph's College. Actually, I was 13 years old when I arrived there. And I began to take classes. I, I turned 14 by the time, uh, you know, I began classes at St. Joseph's College. But, uh, I was surrounded by Catholic priests from the diocese and from a particular society, and I met archbishops, and uh, was actually they asked me if I would go to Rome to finish my studies, but instead I decided I was to leave the seminary. And uh, some of the people, like uh, Bishop Comer, agreed with that, and uh, and others. I won't mention all their names, but uh, Bishop Comer held a position that was like Carlo uh, Vigani, Vigano, who is the Catholic bishop who, who wrote a letter to Trump, which we will get to either in this show or in the next show or sometime today. But he wrote a letter to Trump, and he talks in it about the Second Vatican Council ushered in a schism uh, where a false church exists within the Catholic Church, alongside what he considers to be the true church. Well, to me, the true church is the church that's doing what Christ said, 
and we're going to get into what that difference is. Now, I'm not casting a dispersion uh, on or, or questioning Carlo or Michael Matt. And if they hear this recording, I, I, I think, you know, God bless them. But they're missing something. Along with a lot of people in the Lutheran, Methodist, Seventh-day Adventists, and all these other denominations. I should say here, right away, and a lot of people get this, and I don't know where they get it. They just It's just part of their preconceived notion that you have to belong to this church or that church. And this is a, a notion that started way back, at least with Ambrose, uh, which was at the beginning of the Constantinian church, is that if you didn't go along with what this particular minister, rabbi, pastor, whatever said, you couldn't go to his church. Well, that may be true in their teaching. But to us, it's not our church. It's Christ's church. That's why we say his church. And we're just trying to figure out what it is where we will conform to Christ. That's what we're trying to do, is figure out how we would conform to Christ. And so that's that's our goal. That's That's what we're interested in doing, is conforming to Christ. Because it's His church. It's not the Pope's church. It's not my church. It's not uh, Martin Luther's church. It's Christ's church. And so the doctrines of the church have to be the doctrines of Christ. If it's not what Christ taught, it's not the doctrines of Christ. It's, it may be right. It may be wrong. But it's not the doctrines of the church because it's his church and only he can make the doctrines. Not a lot of people think, well, the Pope can speak ex cathedra and make new doctrines, or Martin Luther can make new doctrines. No, those whatever doctrines they mention have to be in conformity to Christ. Now, they may say it is, but is it? Well, that's up to you individuals to decide and pray that God will write the answer upon your heart and your mind. So, we're just going to bring up the different things that say... You know, it doesn't look like you're doing what Christ said. (laughs) And you get to decide whether or not that's true or not. But we're going to produce facts. And we have been doing it for years and years so that you can see what did Christ say to do? What did Christ say not to do? What? Because if you're not doing what Christ said, you're probably not his church. And you can change over to... What he said to do. That's called repentance. Or at least that's part of repentance. Repentance is really thinking differently. But we have these preconceived notions. And we need to think differently. Because a lot of those notions just ain't so. They're not true. They're not what Christ said. You know, it's like those people who think that elder is an office of the church. You know, should we pay the elders? What are you talking about? The elders are the heads of families. They're not the heads of the church. They're not an office in the church. They had heads of families they appointed to do jobs within the church. Who appointed them? The church. 
Not the congregation. The church appointed him. Look at what Peter says in Acts. They had a problem, like I said, with the Greeks. Not getting assistance in the daily ministration. They were being neglected. And they needed seven men. Now, Christ already commanded that his disciples make the people sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands. Who are the seven guys? Why seven guys? They name them. What are they doing? Well, if you go back and you study history, especially in Ephesus, it's very evident, although you'll find it in other uh, nations around the Roman and in the Roman Empire, they would pick seven men. We have several articles. You can look up seven men and you'll find seven men is a common uh, number to pick for, you know, Federal Reserve, seven men. <laughs> Chuckle Island, seven men. And so, and when you understand that the word wait on tables, the word table there is bank. It's actually still the same word in Greek for bank. And it's translated bank elsewhere in the same Bible. He's not talking about serving pancakes. And we have recordings on this. You can go to Prairie and you and look that up. But the reality is those seven men, how did Peter pick them? To a point. This is showing you the nature of the church. Look out amongst yourselves. Find men you trust. Men with good reputation. Good reports about those men. And you pick those men. In in other words, through your mutual agreement, you kind of elected these guys. But do they get to become these guys who wait on the bank of the church? Because now why why does the church even have to have a bank? Because really there is no centralization of funds because Christ Christ spoke against that too. You accumulating all the funds in a treasury. He didn't want you to do that. This is not the purpose of those seven men to accumulate all the wealth of the church in a single bank account or treasury. Their purpose was to make sure that funds got from one country to another, from Judea to the Greeks. They were to help move funds around, not store them up where a treasury where thieves and robbers could break in and steal it. But they were to help move those funds so that you could get aid to the people in Greece. And then the aid to the people in Greece might be to go to the people in Italy and buy a bunch of grain and put it on a ship and take it to the people in Greece. Because there's no reason to send money to Greece to buy food that isn't there if it was a famine, say. You know, the idea is to get aid where it needed to be. And so they needed these seven men to do that. But how did they pick them? Look out amongst yourselves. Pick men you trust. We will appoint them over this business. When Paul was appointing elders, he was appointing the elders of family to do business for the church. I mean, now you got seven guys in Jerusalem. And they decide to send money to Greece. You gotta have somebody in Greece to receive that money and distribute it to the people in, in Greece. Well, they're not gonna go out and hand it to the little old ladies. 
they're going to hand it to the ministers who hand it to other ministers who hand it to little old ladies because they were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. When I mentioned to the home church group that this is the way they did it, somebody said, why do you send us to a website on numerology? And I thought, like, numerology? What's he talking about? (laughs) There's nothing on that page about numerology. Well, I said tens, hundreds, and thousands. And somehow or other he equates that to numerology. No, that's just, that, it says that in the, you know, like this is like, and then somebody else wrote, which says, well that's your opinion. No, that's Christ's opinion. That his disciples were to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because if you didn't do that, how can you have a daily ministration throughout the whole world? And if you don't have the seven men to weigh down tables, banks, how do you move funds in that network all over the world? Well, there are a number of ways to do it. And at that particular time, it made sense to have those seven men to do it. It would make sense today as well. And we'll go into that at another time. But the point is, is that this is what Christ was setting up. This is not what the Roman church does. Now, the Roman church helps poor people all over the world, but they have a central treasury. They're not organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They have a pope. And Jesus said, call no man on earth father, and pope means father. And the first guy to uh, take the name of pope, actually the first one was Justin the Fat, but uh he wasn't the uh, bishop of rome and so after the because the first guy they offered it to was actually named pope gregory eventually and he would not take it he refused it he refused that title so they gave it to justin the fat later on after pope gregory who wouldn't call himself pope died they named him pope gregory and Justin the Fat lost the honor. <laughs> yeah. So the point is, is, and I'm not picking on that. Everybody's been deceived one place or another. What is the solution? And that's what we have to focus on. How to get to the solution? And so come right back, and we will get into this really deep. Well, welcome back. So, anyway, we're talking about the building back better. Uh, better is not that. It is not better. It is worse. It is worse than anything you can imagine. And where it's going, I'm not even going to include on these pages. And I'm not even going to tell you on this program because it is so scary that uh, you could not believe it. Let's just look at the things that you can possibly see from where you stand right now. And I know a lot of you stand in a little bit different situation because a lot of you have been studying for a long time and been and beginning to re- in that process of repentance and thinking a different way. But, you know, Michael Matt, and I appreciate the work he's done, he's, he's talking about in Argentina, you know, a predominantly Catholic country in Latin America and the home of the Pope. Originally, he worked in, in Argentina. That's where he was from, although his parents are both Italians. Uh, 
they just legalized abortion in the country. And of course, to me, I'm not a big one on legalizing or not legalizing abortion because I already know abortion is against the law. Because I, my morality is not based upon your legal system, but upon what is right or wrong, you know, good or evil. And I know that based on what God shows me in my heart and in my mind, not my own personal decision. you got to remember, Adam and Eve decided to decide for themselves what was good and evil, and they got into trouble. I'm not going to try to decide for myself or for you what is good and evil, but I will tell you and bear witness to what God is writing on my heart. And abortion is not a good thing. It is a bad thing. And they have legalized a bad thing. Now, it doesn't mean everybody has to go out and get one. But the interesting thing is, <laughs> you know, they legalize this and everybody's celebrating that they legalized it in Argentina and Pope Francis. You would think he would register a strong protest or at least a warning that, you know, committing an abortion is very possibly murder. Because, I mean, like, obviously a child doesn't have the right to kill their parents. And so there might be a place where you would have to have an abortion to save the mother. Although I know personally people who were told that they had to have an abortion uh, because having this baby would kill them. And they chose to have the baby anyway. In one instance, they did die. Because, see, they put off cancer treatment and they eventually died after they gave birth. They saw the child and uh, there's no guarantee that they wouldn't have died anyway because they died of cancer. And there's no guarantee that uh, the chemotherapy would have sa saved them. But they took that chance and they gave birth to a child and the child, last I heard, was still alive today. But they did pass. They were willing to risk their life to save their child's life. That was a choice they had when they lived in a country where abortion was legal. You can't legislate morality. You cannot make people be moral. What you can do is offer the choice to people to be moral. But I know of another person who was told that they had to abort the child or they would die, and they didn't die, and neither did the child. They decided to have the child, and they had the child, and they survived. But this is all choices that we make. There's no guarantee that we won't die. As a matter of fact, there's pretty much a guarantee that we, most of us will die. But the question is, are you going to make the right choice, the moral choice based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit in your own self. Pope Francis didn't warn the people about the dangers of abortion or legalizing abortion. What he called for is world to be vaccinated. That's what he's, he was talking about instead of the, the legalizing of abortion. And uh, so Michael Matt says, what's up with that? <laughs> So anyway, and he goes on and he, he points out that Italy announces plans to keep the lockdown till 2024. That's not a misstatement, 2024. What happened to slowing the curve? They're going to keep the lockdown till 2024. Others have talked about 2022. Others are talking about mandating masks for the next five years. Every, I mean, it's like we all have to wear burqas. It's like a religious thing. 
And if you don't wear your mask, you're, you could be arrested and fined. I mean, people are getting fined thousands and tens of thousands of dollars because they meet in a home and have a get together with more than 12 people. That, that's happening in countries all over the world. Uh, even when they don't meet with the big group, they simply go to another, I mean, this is happening in the U.S. You go from one island in Hawaii to another island without proper permission, you can be arrested and quarantined and fined thousands of dollars. And it's happening. But the media isn't telling you all these things because they don't want you to react against it. But it's happening, and it's scaring people into compliance. All boxcar loaders. Yep, get in the boxcar. So anyway, uh, Michael goes on and talks about Bill Gates and wanting to, you know, outlaw cows and uh, shoot particles into space uh, to dim the sun's rays from getting to the earth. And... uh, and that's okay. <laughs> he may have to wear masks if he gets to do that. So anyway, that you can go watch the video at our page, um, Building Back. And uh, it's not Building Back Better. It's Building Back According to Their Own Designs. And one of the things that I wanted to point out is traditions have been changing for thousands of years, becoming the new normal for each generation. It only takes a generation and... Now you think you're still keeping your tradition, but you're not. You've altered what your tradition is. Sounds like it's the same, but it's not. Yesterday's traditions binds us to today's cognitive dissonance. Just like those people were looking at the word elder, and they says, well, no, elder's an office of the church. And I says, no, it's, it's an office of the family. And I gave them all kinds of reasons to see that it was because there's nothing in the Bible that says they were appointed as elders. It says elders were appointed. You you have the preconceived notion that an elder is an office of the church in order to hear that as they appointed people as elders. No. Old men were appointed to jobs. You know, heads of families... The oldest head of a family was appointed to do certain jobs for the church. But they, because of their preconceived notions, they cannot hear the obvious statement there. And so it's the same thing with traditions. And Michael wants to get back to pre-Vatican II and, uh, and have this other, uh, you go back to what the church used to be. But the church, Before Vatican II, they were already changing the way in which American Catholic Americans were viewing history. We already instituted a Federal Reserve. We already instituted a Social Security system, which was the Corbin of the Pharisees that made the Word of God to none effect. That was all done before Vatican II. Getting back to Vatican II is not getting back to Christ. You know, pre-Vatican II is not... Back to what Christ was. You have to go back to pre-Constantine at least. Which is 2,000 years. So what is the church doing then? Because raised in the Catholic Church. 
entered the seminary back in the early 60s to study at St. Joseph's College directly in a society directly under the auspices of the Pope. And I can tell you the church was not doing then what Christ was doing. And I got that from Bishop Comer who told me that the Catholic Church was not the one true church. <coughs> and uh, he had a rank superior to that of of the, the bishop, Carlo, who uh, was the uh, nuncio of of the uh, the church in both America and Canada, the apostolic nuncio to the United States of America and to Canada. Now that office wasn't created at at the time that I was in the seminary, so Bishop Coomer went under a different name. <laughs> but uh, and I'm not picking on Catholics. I don't want to pick on Lutherans, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah Witnesses, and the rest of them either. I want you to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness by conforming to what Christ actually said. Christ was not (laughs) pro-lockdown. So anyway, right now, this, this reset, part of the agenda of this reset is continued lockdowns to two. 2021, 2022, evidently in Italy, all the way to 2024. And when we get there, for all I know, if we get there, (laughs) they'll be going even farther. Perpetual mask mandate. We all have to join this religious cult that requires all of its members to wear face covering over your face. Like the, the Muslims did with the burqa. Some Muslims did. All Muslims don't do that. Uh, talks about new agencies to trace the contact. Trace you. Trace everybody. Anybody you con- come in contact with. And of course you can't come into contact with hardly anybody. You cannot peacefully assemble. That They've removed that. Because you might spread a disease that kills w- less than one in a hundred people. And then... Only doesn't really kill them. It's only people who are already on the brink of death because of other morbidities that actually die. That's that's the actual statistic. You can't talk about some freak situation where one guy in tens of thousands also dies with COVID with no other pre-existing morbidity. And you don't even know if they had COVID. They may have had other things. Uh, and so we've become a country and a world that is celebrating mass abortions all over. And certificates of immunity will be required to control travel, employment. You, No jab, no job. That They're saying this already in America. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Protest? Elect a different president? And that's going to change that? No, that's not going to change that. Uh, extend uh, medical care and even shopping. This idea you don't have your certificate of immunity that you only get if you have a vaccination, not if you're producing the actual antibodies naturally. 
as the way you get rid of most of these diseases that have been coming around for thousands and thousands of years? No. No, you, you might not be able to go into the hospital. You may not be able to go get medical treatment, get your eyes checked. You may not be able to go shopping in Costco at all. You gotta show your medical, and maybe your certification will be the fact that they will scan the arm that got the shot. And they, those nanoparticles will be readable and you, you'll just know. And you say, oh, that's crazy. That's conspiracy stuff. No, they're actually doing that kind of stuff now. That, those, that technology is already in existence. I mean, you think back, look at what you see. Everybody wearing these masks over their face. We never did that before. Scientists will tell you the only value a mask has is that shows that this person is actually sick at this time. That's who needs to wear the mask. And they had to go out anyway, so they're wearing a mask, so everybody gives the mask people a, a wider berth. If they're afraid of getting the disease. I'm not afraid of getting it. I already had it. But I've been in poor health for her for 70 years. <laughs> but God uh, keeps me ticking, so I'm still here. Can't guarantee how long that will be. But it doesn't matter to your salvation. I, the sight of me is not your salvation. You have to do what Christ said. So, the real bondage that makes us merchandise, mere human resources, and does curse our children, makes us all surety for debt, is due to our own covetous practices, which the Bible clearly states, Peter clearly states, Jesus warns us of coveting our neighbor's goods. John the Baptist, the same. And these systems that are based on funding your social welfare, both through taxation or borrowed money, which is the way you do it, which curses the next generation with the debt of your borrowing today. This is the problem. This is what is making the word of God to none effect. And that was going on before Vatican II. Certainly before the Great Reset. The only thing that may save you is to repent, think differently, and to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means to sit down in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, and tens of thousands, and start caring about one another through sharing as if your life and soul depended upon it. Because it does. This is what the early Christians were doing. They were not engaged in the feel-good false religion that says you're saved already because you thought a thought. And and such religions, you know, entangled you again in the yoke of bondage, and, and which is public religion. That all took place before Vatican II. It all took place when people were doing the Latin Mass. It's not, you know, if you want to have a Latin Mass, that's fine. You want to, you want to go, this is what I was going to say and I never really got the thought out. 
if people join the network at His Holy Church or PreparingYou.com and begin to sit down as Christ commanded in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity rather than the way they do it through the public systems, which is force and fear and fealty, you don't have to leave your Baptist church. You don't have to leave the Catholic church. We don't require that. You can go to any church you want to go to. Any building you want to go to. We're not putting, uh, imposing rules and regulations because we know that the ministers of Christ cannot exercise authority one over the other. We're not taking away your right to choose to go anywhere you want to go. That's not the job of the church. Our job is to facilitate your love for one another in a network based on love, based on charity, based on faith, based on learning what it means to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You're not going to learn that in public religion. What's public religion? Well, I have a link on the page that shows you, takes you to it. Public religion is Social Security. Welfare, Medicare, Medicaid. That's how the governments take care of the needy of your society. Remember, pure religion is to take care of the needy of your society without the spotting of the world. What world? Constitutional order and system of government. That's the word you find there. They spotted by the world means spotted by the constitutional order and system of government. How does that spot your religion because your religion is in part dependent upon men who exercise authority one over the other they call themselves benefactors but they only give you what they take away by force and fear and fealty from your neighbor you were doing that before Vatican II You were doing that, actually, they were doing that back in the days of Marie Antoinette, believe it or not. Go read our article on marriage, where the idea that the state marriage was how you get married. We we give you the history, going back to Marie Antoinette's brother, who was taking money from the government. He was the government. But he was taking money from the government and giving it to the church. And then because he was doing that, he was able to take from the church the sacrament of marriage and put it into the public arena. And we've explained this in greater detail, but basically, marriage, what we call holy matrimony, is an agreement between a husband and a wife to be married, supposedly by the permission of the elder of each of their families, the head member of their family. You know, the father asks, you know, like Samson asked his dad, and the woman gets permission from her dad, and usually the husband-to-be goes to her father and asks for permission. Public marriage, you don't have to do that. You just go ask permission of the state to get married. And the state becomes a party to that union. used to be 
the church performed that marriage and the church was not a party to that union. There was only two parties. Husband, wife. Now the church recorded the fact that the parents agreed and this is the day they uh, were allowed to consummate that union and now if they produced children or they held property, they held it together as one person. Public religion is a different thing. That's the government and how the governments of the world that exercise force take care of the needy. Christians were taking care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity alone. Ambrose didn't do that. The early Roman church was taking money from Constantine that he got through taxation or even through war and they were receiving that money to the tune of millions upon millions of dollars to take care of the needy. Christ did not do that. Christ got the people to share to take care of the needy. And he got them to share by making them sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so they could do it in the most efficient way possible. And that was righteous. That was the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. It is not righteous to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, which was allowed by the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, the Mormon Church, uh, I was trying to think of all the others. Uh, actually, the Amish weren't doing that so much. <laughs> a lot of the Amish were getting Social Security numbers, and they were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. But they had some other issues that they were missing. But I'm not trying to pick on people in a group. I'm not picking on the Catholics. I'm not picking on the Baptists or the Lutherans. I'm just saying that Christ wants you to take care of one another through love. Enforcing the offerings of the people is not love. And that's been going on for more than a hundred years. Actually, if you go back, like I said, to Marie Antoinette's brother, he was taking tax money and giving to the church. And because of that, he was able to extract from the church the record-keeping of who was married and who was not. Now, always, if you were in the, the church and you got married in the church, you could go down and register a document of that marriage with the local government. You would have it written in your Bible. It would be recorded at the church. And it could also be recorded by the government. If you're going back and looking for family ties back two, three hundred years ago, you're going to get into church documents. There isn't that many government documents back then. But thanks to Marie Antoinette's brother, the whole trend started going where those documents were going to now be kept. They still let the church keep their documents, but now the the ministers were not going to perform that marriage without permission of the state. Before, they would not perform the marriage without the permission of the father. Now, the father was passed. They wouldn't need that. But if the father was still there, you know, like a young couple, and uh, 
the sun still not sui juris, as the Romans would refer to it, well, he would have to ask permission of his father to get married. And the church would look for that permission. State don't care, because the state is your father, which Christ also warned you about, which the Roman church, the Lutheran church, the Mormon church, the Presbyterian church, they weren't warning you about that. You know, we were told in the beginning, and I, I I slipped this in. It's something I've said many times. We were told from the beginning that the slothful shall be under tribute. People were under tribute in America and all over the world long before Vatican II. Long before the Mormons crossed the desert. Uh, you, you know, like I was saying, you go to Marie Antoinette's brother. Well, let's go all the way back to uh, uh, 1066, 1090. And we'll see where there was a change starting to take place, where the government was going to tax the people and make the money that they got from taxes and give it to the church to manage the social welfare. Because the church was already managing the social welfare. They had been doing it since Christ of Christians. But now they were going to tax the people and give the money to the church to build schools and build hospitals and to take care of the widows and orphans. And Lady Gladys, Lady Godiva, uh, said no. We can't do it that way. It will destroy us. Roman church let us do it that way. Roman church brought in 501c3. We put the church under the authority of the state. All before Vatican II. So anyway, we'll talk about what it should have been from the beginning. And we'll touch a little bit on Carlo uh, Vagano's letter to Trump when we return to Keys of the Kingdom after this brief break. So, welcome back. So, now, I'm not supposed to attack your delusion, but the fact is is that we're under a strong delusion because we think we're following Christ and we're actually not following Christ. We're actually following people's opinion of what Christ was saying. And that's not going to cut it because... Many of those people have an opinion of what Christ was saying. Lutheran, Catholic, Presbyterian, uh, Mormon, whatever, are actually workers of iniquity. And how does that, how do you prove that they are workers of iniquity? We were never to return to the bondage of Egypt. Christ said that, that we were to, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not the kingdom of, of the Pharaoh. Or the Pharisees or Caesar. He was, I'm, we're not warring against Caesar and I'm not warring against the Catholic Church. I'm preaching the gospel of the kingdom. But we were told in Proverbs that the slothful shall be under tribute. And that to covet this practice is according to Peter we would be made merchandise and curse our children which they ha- has happened. They have become a surety for debt snared again in the bondage of Egypt entangled in that yoke of bondage under the taxation of the world. that And the world is taxing you in order to provide for the needy of society because the church was not doing that before. 
It did it a little bit, but it wasn't doing it enough so that people thought, well, let's... And they didn't say anything about it. As a matter of fact, like, you know, in our article on employee versus enslaved and and the book uh, Covenants of the Gods, we point out that the Catholic Church met with Eleanor Roosevelt to make a deal to uh, give its support to the Social Security Act. Because originally, the Catholic Church opposed the Social Security Act. Just like in Connecticut, the Catholic Church and the uh, uh, Knights of Columbus opposed a bill that would make the property held by bishops subject to a civilian board. And they said, no, we can't have that. And they understood why. And they didn't really explain why, but they opposed that deal. Well, they, uh, that's the same reason why they opposed Social Security. Because it would create this gigantic trust. And you would be in it. And why did they need to do that? Because they had already, you know, back in 1913, created another gigantic trust. Which was the Federal Reserve. In which everybody's property has been held as collateral for the debt that has been rising year by year, decade by decade, because of the Federal Reserve, which every country almost in the world today has a Federal Reserve system, which issues money based on property being collateral for that debt and has made everybody a surety for that debt who is a beneficiary of that system. And that system is based on the Corbin of the Pharisees that makes the word of God to none effect. There are a few more covetous practices than socialism. And the world has been <laughs> becoming more and more socialist every year. To the point where now communism is accepted by millions upon millions of people around the world, including Americans. Modern Christians accept it the Pope Francis, some won't even call him Pope Francis, but, you know, the guy who's sitting there, he's not my Pope, my Father's in heaven. Modern Christians and their churches are in conflict with Christ. They're certainly not doing what the early church was doing, which is taking care of all the social welfare and not calling or praying to the fathers of the earth for their daily bread. We pray to our Father in Heaven for our daily bread and provide that daily bread through the church and the congregations of the people through faith, hope, and charity. That's what Christ was telling us to do. But the churches, all these churches, you can go down all these denominations, they have taken that out of the gospel of Christ. They've accepted the idea that it's okay to bite one another through the fathers of the earth and the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. Christ commanded we turn away from those covetous practices of the world to a daily ministration of sacrifice through faith, hope, and charity like the early church rather than the way of force and fear and fealty 
of the worlds of Cain, Nimrod, Pharaoh, Pharisees, and Caesar. The modern Christians has pursued the same Corbin of social welfare, which made the word of God to none effect. When the Pharisees introduced it with Herod in Judea. So John the Baptist had to go out of the temple and he moved the laver of the temple to the Jordan River and began to organize the people into tens, hundreds, and thousands. That was the way the Essenes were organized and evidently John the Baptist was an Essene. Even Christ appears to be a Nazarite, which was an Essene phrase. There was no town of Nazarea, according to most. You know, I don't know for a fact, but according to many anthropologists, there was no town of Nazareth at that time in Judea. They don't find any evidence of it. So when they say that Jesus was a Nazarene, they're referring to him as a Nazarite, which would make him part of the Essene community, which organized itself into the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Even the Pharisees still organized themselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The mere idea of a synagogue means ten families. This is common knowledge. The same as it was common knowledge when Jesus said, Call no man on earth father. They knew he was talking about the senators, the old men of Rome who now had legislative power to tax the people to provide the free bread of Rome. But to eat the free bread of Rome would be, that was delivered to the people through the temples, would be to eat of, you know, the idols of the pagans. You know, eating the bread that was from men who exercised authority. Christians would not do that. Back then, but they were certainly doing that in 1920, 1930, they started doing it even more. 1940, they were doing it even more. 1950, certainly by 1960, all over the world. Charity that used to be entirely in the hands of the church, unwed mothers, what have you, the elderly, was removed from them and given to the government. And the churches who had once had a moral criteria in their charity no longer could exercise that moral criteria. A girl could be a total slut and having child after child on welfare and the church couldn't, couldn't stop her getting aid. You know, I mean, it's like you have to, I mean, we've seen this actually in the family. Kids can be disobedient, abusive, and we have to let them do it. We're not allowed to intervene. And that's become the name of the game. That is not right. That is not what we were supposed to be doing from the beginning. So anyway, I said I'd mention this Carlo Maria Vagano, who is this Catholic bishop who wrote this letter to Trump. We don't have time to get to the whole letter, I don't think. Um, but I'll do it in this afternoon program. We'll see where we get. But he said, and, and I mentioned it earlier, that the Second Vatican Council ushered in a schism which a false church exists within the Catholic Church alongside what he considered to be the true church. 
And we just explained why the true church is those who are truly faithful to the commands of Christ and are conforming to what Christ commanded his disciples to do. So even if you organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, that would not make you his church. It would be a good start because the rest of the churches aren't doing that. And Christ commanded his church to do that, his disciples to do that. With good cause. Because they could not have, Paul could not have done the job that he was doing if they were not doing that already. So, unfortunately, he does not know what the true church is supposed to be doing and we have gotten to the, this point. Because we are not doing what the early church did. And we haven't been doing it for a hundred, maybe a thousand years. There have been many people through the last thousand years or even the last two thousand years who claim to be Christians, but as we see, are not doing the work of Christians. They're not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity alone. Their religion is not pure. And because of that, people have been led completely astray from what Christ commanded that we do. So below on this page, that uh, is the uh, building back page at Preparing You, I have the letter. I think I have links to the letter uh, to Trump from this apostolic nuncio uh, to the United States, who is this Archbishop Carlo Vegano. But he he tells us what's going on in the letter, and it's amazing what he says. I mean, he just boldly says it. But he doesn't tell us the whole story because if you go back and you read Justin the Martyr explains it even better in his apology about Christians. He says that they gather once a week. As a matter of fact, they, he says in it, this is one of the things where now everybody says we're supposed to gather on, on Sunday because Mar- Ju- Justin the Martyr said Christians gathered on Sunday and the president of the gathering, which would be you know, if it was ten families, there would be a minister and he would be the principas of that gathering. And so therefore you might translate that president and say, he would say, you know, what do you guys need? We talk about prayer. What what are you applying for? How can we help? We're the ecclesia. How can we help? We're from the government and we're here to help. That's what they're saying. At the beginning of church on Sunday. Now, people get carried away, you know, Seventh-day Adventists and say, well, no, no, the the Pope changed that and everything. No, Justin the Martyr is long before the Pope. But why were they gathering on Sunday? Because the church had a job. And Sunday was the first work day of the week. They'd already had their day of rest on the Sabbath. So Justin the Martyr does not contradict having a day of rest on the Sabbath. But he probably also knows that the Sabbath is not about 
ritualizing the day and unmooring the meaning of the Sabbath from the day, he knows that the Sabbath is about not going into debt. You work first and earn what you have, and then you use that. You'll borrow against the future because you would curse your children. That was obvious. If you're going to, you know, I, I knew a guy who really took care of his family, but he would like to go and borrow money from banks all the time. When he died, there was barely enough money to pay for the funeral. His wife was destitute because he had been borrowing all this money all the time. But Justin the Martyr says, yeah, we, we gather on Sunday. And he eventually says, those who have share with those who do not have enough. And he's writing this apology to Antonius Pius, who is the emperor of Rome, explaining how the Christians operate with pure religion because that was religion to gather not to sing and and, and to do all, but to actually provide a service to the community take care of the needy of society and pure religion unspotted by the free giveaways of Rome not no money from Rome because that is the fathers of the earth all the senators were patri father all the emperors were called Patronus, our father. And we're not going to look to them because the bread they give us is provided by force, not charity. If you're going to have a free society, you have to create such institutions based on charity, not force. So anyway, so Justin the Martyr tells us better than Vagano. But what does Vagano tell us? In his open letter, and I've gone through it part way here and highlighted some of the different phrases that are interesting. But it was written on October 25th, 2020. He had written a previous letter in June, but this was the one that we have here. And he says in it that the fate of the whole world is being threatened by a global conspiracy against God and humanity. That sounds serious. In this letter to this POTUS, Mr. President. Anyway, again, uh, as the Archbishop and successor of the Apostles, according to his words, as the former Apostolic Nuncio to the United States of America, I am writing to you in the midst of the silence of both civil and religious authorities. He says, may you accept these words as the voice of one crying out in the desert. He actually says in the desert. And he quotes this from John 1, 23. Well, I'm the voice of one crying in the desert because I'm actually in the desert. I'm actually a shepherd. <laughs> Which was another part of that conversation with the home churchers. I was saying that shepherd and pastor... Are, are descriptive terms. They're not offices of the church. They're descriptive church terms. The only office of the church is deacon, which is a minister of ten, and an overseer, who is not a ruler either, because he can't exercise authority one over the other. He's not picking the ministers of ten and imposing them on ten families. The ten families pick the minister and give him permission to be their minister 
His job is to connect them with nine other families so that those ten families become a hundred families. And then those ministers who connect them to those other hundred families, they pick a minister who can now get together with nine other ministers and connect them with a thousand other families. And so that's, this is the order in which Christ, and if you don't sit down in that order, it's not numerology like that one crazy guy was saying. It's about a practical sin, sense of taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. So anyway, he's this apostolic, or was this apostolic nuncio for the United States. And like I say, Bishop Coomer was for the United States and Canada, although they had a little bit different title. But this is not about uh, Bishop Coomer, who recognized, who was at every one of the Vatican councils. You know, he went to all those meetings. And he he understood what was happening in the Roman Catholic Church. But he also understood that the Roman Catholic Church is not the one true church. The one true church is the church that is true to Christ, who's actually conforming to Christ and preaching the gospel of Christ. Not just saying, Lord, Lord, but actually doing the will of the Father. They're practicing pure religion through faith, hope, and charity. So this bishop goes on to say that he had written a letter back in June, like I said. But he says, the forces of evil aligned in a battle without quarter against the forces of good. Forces of evil that appear powerful and organized as they oppose the children of light who are disoriented and disorganized. Abandoned by their temporal and spiritual leaders. Well, I, I have to agree with this statement. The people who are seeking the kingdom of God are supposed to be, and the righteousness of God, are joining these denominations, but they're not organized. They're disorganized. They're also disoriented. Because they don't understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is what's supposed to run the church. And the Holy Spirit lists this where it wills. It lives in the hearts of every elder and every wife of every elder. And hopefully the children of every elder. That's, that's where we're supposed to be. Is that Holy Spirit is guiding us. So who... It's about giving choices back to the individual to make those choices based on their own vanity and preconceived notions or based upon love for one another. You don't gather for what you can get. You gather for what you can give because Christ is one who came to give. Christ came to serve. So we are not coming in the name of Christ unless we come to serve. There are people going around thinking that they came in the name of Christ because they came in the name of Yeshua, saying his name was Yeshua and we're coming in the name of Yeshua. That's saying you're coming in the name of Yeshua. The only way I know of you're coming in the name of Yeshua is that if you're coming to serve. You're not coming to get a good feeling. From going to church. You're coming to be of service. If we were doing this. In America. If we were doing this in Italy. 
taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and violence, we would have a network that could stand against their organized system of the new world order. You would already be prepared. You would already be Minutemen for righteousness. But you have put it off. Well, I've been talking about it for years and years. It's right in the text of the Bible. It's not numerology. That we're supposed to be sitting down in the ranks of tens, hundreds, and thousands and learning what it means to love your neighbor as yourself in the practice of pure religion, caring for one another through charity alone. This will alter you. To not do that will also alter you. It will turn you into perfect savages if you decide to take care of one another through men who exercise authority one over the other. He goes on to say that uh, they want to destroy the very basis of society. The natural family. Remember, the Messiah was to return every man to his family and to his possessions. Their goal is the opposite of that. And has been the opposite of that for hundreds of years. But now they have such a foothold. And they got that foothold while the church was not doing its job. Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Seventh-day Adventist. They're paying token to their job, but they're not doing their job. There's certainly, you cannot tell me that these churches have been providing all the social welfare through love alone. So, they want to do away with the natural family. They don't want to respect human life. They don't want you to love your country. Although I'm a little shaky on that too. You should be in love with righteousness. And then by that you will love your country. Just to love your country does not put you in that realm. And then they talk about freedom of education and business. They want to destroy freedom of